We're going to be breaking from our normal uh, Psalms of Ascent. Remember, we've been going through the Psalms this uh, this past summer. And we're going to break from that for today to talk to um, talk to some of the youth, kind of focusing on some of the youth that are going to be going with us to Falls Creek um, and to you all. Just a, it's a it's this is going to be a sermon that's it's titled the four T's of discipleship and the four T's of discipleship. It's one of those sermons that kind of goes back to the roots, goes back to the basics and reminds us what it is that we are as Christians and as disciples of Christ, what we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis. What is it that we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis? Because we can have that question of like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing these things? What is it that a Christian should be doing? You ever showed up on a new job, maybe, and, and, and you get there and you've got this new job, this new thing that you're supposed to be doing. And you're just like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do next. Like, what's the first thing I need to do? What are the things I need to be doing daily? Well, that's what this sermon is going to be about. Once you're saved, what is it that you should be doing? And we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of what it is that Christians do because we can fall into a rut, can't we? We can... Wake up, go to church, sing the song, hear the message, shake the hand, and go home and do that on endless repeat Sunday after Sunday and kind of forget what it is that we're supposed to be doing in the in-between time. So we need a reminder. Even the church needs a reminder of what it is uh, that discipleship is and how we're to follow Jesus. So today we're going to look at the four building blocks, these four foundational um, categories of what it means to be a disciple. This is not to be confused with discipling somebody else. We're talking about you as the disciple of Jesus. What is it that you should be doing um, at, on a regular basis? So as you listen to this sermon, uh, we're going to read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. But as you listen to me read this, and as you hear this sermon, be thinking of it from two different spheres. Okay, two different spheres. If you're here this morning and you are a non-believer... I want you to be listening to this and asking yourself, uh, you need to ask yourself, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do I want to commit to following him? But second, if you're here as a believer, you need to ask yourself this. In what ways do I need to step up my game, if you will? In which one of these four areas do I need to improve as a follower of Christ? So let's go ahead and read this passage. We're going to be picking up in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read for you verses 14 through 20. 14 through 20. It says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with his hired servants, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you so much for this passage that teaches us what it looks like to be a disciple, a very simple, 
clear picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. God, we pray that as we look at this passage that we would be able to use it as a mirror to see ourselves and see our souls and see how it is that we should, we should be um, changing and transforming to look more like Jesus. God, we pray that you would um, use this to, to prepare the hearts of the students that are going to be going to Falls Creek. God, I pray that this would uh, whet their appetite for um, this week of being with you. And God, we pray that it would remind us of how we need to be praying for that week. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so the setting, as we think about the setting of this, there's, we started in verse 14, but there's some, some, some verses right before this. The book of Mark is a gospel, and it's telling you the story of Jesus, the biography of Jesus. And who does it start with? It doesn't start with Jesus, actually, is the ironic thing. It starts with a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was being arrested. John the Baptist was being arrested. John was one of the last, really was the last Old Testament prophet. He was one of the, these guys that was speaking to the people. He was out in the wilderness. Um, and he was one of these, these prophetic voices. And, and God had been in some sense silent for about 400 years before um, Jesus comes onto the scene. So John was a breath of fresh air um, for the people of, as far as speaking and preaching. And they felt like, man, there, there's, God has a word for us from uh, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet, but John was also kind of crazy. John was kind of crazy. What was unique about John? He had camel skin, uh, camel fur as a jacket. And he would eat bugs. Uh, he ate locusts and honey together. There was an old, there was a song in, in the 90s. I think it was the 90s or maybe the 2000s. Jesus Freak. Does any, any DC Talk fans in here? Yes, right? The, the second verse or the first verse from that talks about John. It said he has skins on his back and hair on his face. They thought he was crazy by the locusts he ate. The Pharisees tripped when they heard him speak till the king took the head of this Jesus freak. So this, this, this John the Baptist was this crazy guy that everyone was intrigued by. He was out in the wilderness, not in the city. He was eating bugs and wearing camel skin. But his message was what was intriguing. What was John's message? It was this message, a message about repentance and baptism. It was a message about a second chance and a fresh start. He was preaching that, hey, we came into this land, this, this promised land over the Jordan. In one sense, the people of Israel were baptized as a group as they entered into the promised land. But they failed to follow the Lord. So John took them back out to that wilderness and said, hey, you can start again. As, as, a, as a Jewish person, you can have this fresh start, this second chance. You can be baptized and have this second chance if you repent of your sins. So John was kind of crazy, but his message was intriguing. And John was paving the way for Jesus. The, just a few verses before this, it says that he was that voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. <clears throat> the people were excited about what John was preaching and so the people were coming out to hear him, and, G and John told them, I'm not the guy, but the guy is coming. I'm not the guy, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the promised one, but he's coming soon. He's coming soon, and he points to Jesus. So at the beginning of Mark, we see John the Baptist was being arrested, but we also see Jesus was beginning his ministry. John's arrest is a picture of the end of that Old Testament time, the end of that Old, Old Testament prophet time, and a transition to this new way of relating to the Lord. 
This new way that Jesus was breaking out, this new announcement that Jesus was making. And what's that announcement? That, that the, the, the good news is here and the Lord is, is there. And the Lord is going to be coming to bring that good news. And so as Jesus steps on the scene, what's the first thing he says? He says, repent and believe the gospel. So that brings us to these four T's of discipleship. So if you're a note taker, you can already, you already know every, every point is going to be four T's, right? The first T of discipleship is this, turning from sin, turning from sin. Verse 14, when, or verse 15 rather, Jesus, this is the first thing that Jesus says, or at least the first thing that, that, uh, Mark tells us about is this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He starts off with repentance. What is repentance? It's turning from sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is falling short of God's glory. Another way to think of it, sin is missing the mark. God has set a target for you to live by. And when you don't hit that target, that's missing the mark or that is sin. Another way to think of sin is sin is disagreeing with God about how you should live. Disagreeing with God about how you should live. He says turn left and you turn right on purpose, intentionally. Um, when we were, um, when Winnie and I were in India, I didn't have like a, a, a cell phone in my pocket like I do now, the smartphone, but I did have an iPad, okay? So we would sometimes use that iPad to navigate the streets of this third world country. And you know what? A lot of times... I questioned that iPad. I would use Google Maps, and even back then, 10, 10 years ago, it should not have been 10 years ago, wow. Um, even 10 years ago, that, that Google Maps app was way smarter than I was. But there were times when I would say, you know what, Whitney, I'm looking on here, I think this is going to be a better road to take. But you know what? Google knew better. So I would get us in traffic jams. I would get us lost down the most narrow alley that our car wouldn't fit down. All because I chose to not listen to the voice of the thing that knew better than I. And I think we do that with God. God says, hey, this is not a good route to take. This is not a good path. It's not going to work out well for you. And we say, mm, let's give it a shot. And we just go down the, the path that, that the Lord is telling us not to go down. That's a picture of sin. Sin is when we just choose to not listen to how God would have us live. So obviously that's something that we shouldn't do. So what does it mean to turn from our sin? Well, turning from our sin, that's just a change of relationship with our sin. It's a change of relationship with our sin and a change of attitude toward our sin. It's saying, Lord, I see that this is the way that I was going, I was sinning, and I'm turning my back on that. That's the first thing Jesus calls us to do, is turn from our sins. But I want you to hear two different nuances of that idea. There's repenting of a sin, and there's repenting of sin. Okay, There's repenting of a sin, a sin, and there's repenting of sin. Okay, repenting of a sin, that's something that a, an established Christian would likely do, right? You come along, you realize, hey, I'm sinning in this way, and I need to turn from this sin. I need to ask God for forgiveness of this one sin. But when we become a Christian that first time, we're not just repenting of one specific sin. We're repenting of being a sinner. We're repenting of sin in general. We're saying, this was my disposition. I constantly chose to do what I wanted to do. Instead of what God wanted me to do. And now I'm going to turn my back on that. And my constant disposition is going to be trusting in the Lord. 
So repenting of sin is not just repenting of one specific thing. Repenting of sin is really a lifestyle. It's saying, hey, I no longer am going to seek out, search out ways that I can uh, rebel against the Lord or do what I want to do rather than what he would want me to do. But I'm going to be trusting in him. It's that conscious decision to turn from sin in your life in general. And then after you become a Christian, after you become a Christian, you continue to turn from sin. You continue to repent of sin. It's not a one-time thing where you say, okay, Lord, I forgive, I forgive me my sins. I'm turning from that, and now I'm good. Now I can just do whatever I want. No, that's not how it works. Um, we even, even Christians, we continually have that posture of repentance, holding a posture of repentance. So if you're not a believer this morning, let me tell you, by God's grace, you need to repent of your sin. And that's not me judging you to say, hey, um, I'm better than you. You need to act like me. No, that's saying the road you're on is not a good road. And the path that you're following is not a good path. And it ends in destruction. And God, by his grace, calls us out of that. So if you're not a believer, you need to repent of your sins. But if you are a believer, is there a new sin that you need to repent of? Is there a new way that you found to rebel against the Lord that you need to acknowledge in your life? For me, this happened when I became a parent. Never ever in my life would I have defined myself as as an angry person or or really frustrated. I was more laid back. But when my kids came along, I turned into like a helicopter parent and like I, I just lose my temper with them way more often than I want to. So that's a sin that came along in my life long after I became a Christian. When my kids came into my life, they're precious. They're awesome. I love them. But man, ooh, sometimes, right? So that can happen in our lives. We can have a sin creep into our life even after we've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years. There's new sin that can creep into our life. And we don't need to think, I've got my ticket punched. I'm good to go. We need to think, no, I want to fight against that sin. I want to mortify that sin as well. So Christian, who's been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, is there new sin that's creeping into your heart that you need to be repentant of? So the first T of discipleship is turning from your sin. The second T of discipleship is trusting in Jesus. Jesus says, repent and believe. Believe what? The good news, the gospel. The Greek word for this is euangelion. You can hear that word you at the front. That's why we do eulogies. That's a good word about somebody. Or a euangelion is a good message. Um, So the gospel is this picture that we find in the New Testament of this good news that Jesus has come. But this is not just a good news that Jesus has come. Um, We don't just find that in the New Testament. We find that in the Old Testament as well. Even long before Jesus came, God was preaching in places like Isaiah about the need to turn from sin. The promise of forgiveness. We find that in Isaiah 53 about Jesus being a substitute for us. Him taking our sin on himself. And this idea of this future state of resting with the Lord. So this good news is something that Jesus was proclaiming, but really he was fulfilling as well. He wasn't just proclaiming it. He was fulfilling this picture from the Old Testament. Cool. Um, So he was fulfilling this picture from the Old Testament. 
And Jesus really did accomplish salvation for us. He really did accomplish salvation for us. He lived a perfect life, died in our place, and rose victorious from the dead. But I want to make these two points to you guys. I want to make these two things. There's two things that you can't do as far as uh, salvation with Jesus goes. You can't trust Jesus and keep your sin. So this turning from sin and trusting in him are two sides of the same coin. You can't trust in Jesus for salvation if you're not willing to turn from your sin. You can't hold on to one and grab the other. If you're going to turn from your sin or if you're going to trust in Jesus for salvation, you also have to be turning from your sins. Another thing that the way that you can think of it is this. You can't trust in Jesus as your savior but not trust him as your lord. When I was growing up, I was in youth group, I heard that phrase a lot. Like people would say, man, I had trusted in Jesus as my savior and I got saved, but then I really didn't live my life for the Lord. Um, but now I want to trust him as Lord. Now I want to give him the, the keys to the car, right? I want to I trust him as the Lord of my life. I don't think you can do those two things. If you're not trusting in Jesus as your Lord, you're not going to get him as your savior. What I mean by that is you can't just say, God, I want you to forgive me of my sins and then Live however you want to and not let Jesus be boss of your life. You've got to turn from your sins and trust in him. Have him as your savior and your Lord. Letting go of one to grab the other. So this morning, if you're here as a non-believer, if you've not turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, why not today? But if you are a believer and you have trusted in Jesus for your sins, would you renew that trust? Are you clinging to that trust? Is there things that happen in your life that cause you to distrust the Lord or distrust his forgiveness specifically? Are there times when maybe you sin and you think, man, I just feel like the Lord, there's no way the Lord can love me anymore after that. Would you repent of that and realize, no, God can forgive you of any sin. And when he declared you righteous, when you trusted in him that first time, that declaration still stands even after, even after you sin again? <clears throat> or do you doubt God's salvation, doubt God's um, forgiveness for other people? Do you at sometimes think there's no way that dude can get saved? There's no way that lady can come to the Lord because she does those things. He's that kind of person. And God doesn't let those people in, right? Do you doubt God's forgiveness? Do you, do you question how, how long his arm of salvation is? Do you question how wide the net is that he can pull in? Don't do that. Realize that Jesus, when he lived that perfect life and died that perfect death and rose again, he did it in such a way that he can forgive any person of any sin at any time. And we need to allow God to be God in that sense. So... If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to be turning from your sin. You need to be trusting in Jesus. Third, you need to be transforming by his word. Transforming by his word. Verse 17, Jesus saw these guys and he said two words to them that, were, that, that he says to all of us. Follow me. Follow me. What an invitation. Come with me. Be with me. Follow me. That's the invitation he gives to every believer, every believer. Come, follow me. Following Christ means that we live the way he lived. We live the way he lived. We imitate him. We do the things he did. We think the way he thought. We feel the way he felt. We love the things that he loved. We hate the things that he hated. 
We treat people the way he treated them. We use our Facebook the way he would have used a Facebook if he had one. I don't know if he would have had one. Probably not. But if he did, you need to use your Facebook the way he would. You need to use your cell phone the way he would have. You need to use your vehicle the way he would have. You need to go to work and treat your coworkers the way he would have. If you think of actors, I, I think actors kind of get a bad rap in our culture, um, especially from like people that live in our part of the country, like the kind of blue-collar folks, and think, man, they're just rich snobs. But it's an amazing what some of them can do. They can completely transform who they are and make you think that they're somebody that they're not. Or in, or in another way to think of that, they can become another person. And how do they do that? Some of those actors spend hours and hours, weeks and weeks in an amount of time watching film, studying like a historical character that they're playing in such a way that they try to hold their eyebrows the way that they held their eyebrows in and move their mouth the way that they moved their mouth and, and walk the way they walked and, and have their specific inflection in their voice the way that that person did. They spend hours and hours and hours watching, watching, watching a historical figure so that they can become that historical figure on the screen. That's the kind of attitude we need to have about Jesus. We need to be watching every moment of his life, every, every word that's said about him, and think, okay, how can I be more like this? What can I do that would make me more like Jesus? Or you can think of it as your friend or your spouse. The more time you spend with them, the more you become like them. That's probably why we fight with our spouses so much, because they're so much like us uh, after we've been with them for so long. Um, because you get to that point where you finish each other's sentences. You even start to think the way they think, right? You're in a crowded, you're in a crowded room, maybe at a family gathering um, or, or whatever, and somebody says something, and you know automatically, my wife's about to, she's about to say something. And you look over at her, you're like, or she does the same thing to you. There's some topic that's brought up. There's something that's mentioned. Somebody, somebody says something bad about the Dallas Cowboys. And Whitney has to say, don't say anything to him. Because she knows what I'm about to say. She knows my thoughts. Are you that intimate with the Lord that you know what he's going to do in a certain situation? Are you so close to Jesus that you know, I know exactly what Jesus would think about this. I know exactly how Jesus would feel about this. I know exactly how Jesus would treat this person or that person in this situation. That's how close we need to be to the Lord. So how do we do that when Jesus isn't around for us to look at? Peter says to, in his letter, he says, even though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. How can you love somebody you've never met? Well, God, in his grace, has given us this word. And it teaches us all we need to know about who Jesus is, about his character and, and what he did for us. So if you want to become like Jesus and be transformed by his word to be changed and morphed into Jesus, you've got to read the word. You've got to read the word. And students, you guys going to Falls Creek, you're going to be engaged in the Bible all day long. You're going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to say, hey, do a quiet time. Then we're going to. Eat breakfast, and then you're going to do in-cabin Bible study, where you're going to study the Bible again. Then after that, you're going to go to uh, the morning worship, and you're going to go to that and hear the Bible again. And then we're going to have free time where you can walk around and, and go to all these different um, breakout sessions and, and engage the Bible again. Then you're going to have an evening service and engage the Bible again. Then you're going to have cabin devotion and engage the Bible again. And you know what's going to happen? 
You're going to probably become a little bit more like Jesus that week. Why? Because you're constantly applying yourselves to God's word or vice versa. God's word is being constantly applied to you. Um, folks that aren't going to camp this week, you can do the same thing. I'm not saying that you have to like take a day off of work and just sit there in front of your Bible all day long. But you can have more Bible in your life during the day, taking time to read it, even if it's a few verses throughout the day. Maybe, um, maybe just read it with meals. In the morning when you wake up for breakfast, read a verse or two. At lunch when you eat, read a verse or two. At dinner time when you're eating, read a verse or two. Then before you go to bed, read a verse or two. See what happens. I dare you to do it and see what happens. I promise you your life will not get worse. I promise you, your life will not get worse. So if you're going to become more like Jesus, you've got to be engaged in his word. So read God's word and watch God's people. What did Paul say? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's possible to have people in your life who know Jesus and you can follow them as they follow Christ. So the fourth area, the fourth building block of being a disciple of Jesus, we've got turning from sin, trusting in Jesus, or trusting in, yeah, trusting in Jesus, transforming by his word, and then fourth, teaching others to do the same. That final invitation Jesus said, he said, follow me, and what? I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to help you know how you can pull people in and give them salvation. So in salvation, as we, as we are intentionally involved in other people's lives, being a fisher of men just means you're intentionally involved in other people's lives in such a way that helps them to know Jesus more. That's just what it means to be a fisher of men, being intentionally involved in someone's life. In salvation, that means that we're sharing the gospel with them and realize that it's possible that somebody else's salvation depends on you sharing the gospel with them. But in discipleship, we need to be helping others become more like Jesus. Those who are already saved and, and already Christians, we need to realize that their growth depends on us sometimes. Somebody else's growth depends on you. That means sometimes as a Christian, we need to recognize that there are younger Christians around us uh, who haven't been Christians as long, and we need to help them. Um, this is a beautiful stage right here, right? Uh, it, it's amazing. If you were in here before, this is a total transformation. Um, I would like to say I helped do this, but really I watched Bill do it, and I, I was basically Bill's gopher. Um, so one of my main jobs is we tore stuff down. We wanted to reuse some of the wood or reuse some of the nails. So I stood right over here and I pulled nails all morning long. Like I swear my, this bicep was way bigger than this one by the end of it because I was pulling nails. Bill looked over at me and he saw me working my tail off because some of those nails were really long. Okay, so if you take a, a hammer, it only goes so far before the head of it will hit the wood, right? You can only pull a nail so far. So what do you got to do at that point? Well, I thought we just pull harder. So I was just, I was just cranking as hard as I could on that hammer. Bill, as a gentle, loving uh, uh, just, um, carpenter, comes over very gently, puts a block on the other side of the, the nail so that I have more leverage, right? So that that hammer can go even farther over, like butter. The, those, those nails came out like butter, and it was super simple. What Bill did is he noticed, hey, this guy's struggling in what he's trying to do. Let me help him with the wisdom that I've gained from years of experience. Sometimes we as Christians need to do that for other Christians. We do it gently, we do it kindly, and we show them, hey, I've been there, I've done that, 
You don't have to. Let me show you the way. So that's what it means to be a fisher of men. It's not just that you share the gospel with other people, but you also help them become more like Jesus. So let me encourage you to do this. If you're a Christian, find somebody more mature than you and follow them. Also, if you're a Christian, find somebody less mature than you and lead them. If you're not a Christian at all, or, or, to think of, or another way you can think of that, you can find someone who's not a Christian at all and help them become a Christian. So as we end this message, as we think about those four T's of discipleship, those four building blocks of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, turning from your sins and trusting in him, transforming by his word, and fourth, teaching others to do the same. Remember, those are all I-N-G words. It wasn't trust, turn, transform, and teach. It was turning, trusting, transforming, teaching, because these are things you should be doing all the time in your everyday life. So I ask this question, where are you falling short in one of those areas? Are you struggling with a sin that you need to turn from? Do it. If you're struggling to trust the Lord in a certain area or specifically trust him with your salvation, would you trust him? Are you struggling to transform? Is there an area of your life where you need to look a little bit more like Jesus? Are you failing to be intentional about helping other people become like Jesus? Are you failing in in teaching other people? Well, this is the day where you can say, hey, it's a fresh start. Youth, you guys that are going to camp this week, know that you can take this idea of being a disciple of Jesus and take this week to really transform focus and think, which area of this do I need to improve on? Which, or, which area of these things do I need to start on? Maybe you're saying, I need, I need to be a disciple. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. I need to become one. But wherever you are on that journey, Where can you take a step of faith and improve and become more like Jesus in one of these areas? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you.